Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog for fans of the Effectively Wild podcast. I am not Ryan Sullivan, the Baron of all baseball podcasts. He has a week off. I am Brandon Lee, and uh, I'm a Banished to the Pen uh, editor and contributor, and uh, I'm happy to be with you for episode 39 of the podcast. Uh, Joining us today are a couple of returning uh, guests to the podcast. We have... First of all, Mark Sands. Hey, Brandon. How are you? I am very well. How is the weather in Lansing, Michigan? Uh, it's not bad. Uh, we had 70s last week, but we're back to normal Michigan November temperatures. So we're in the 50s today, and uh, we'll probably be seeing the S word before too long. Ooh. Ooh. Sleet. Yuck. Um also joining us, uh, I, you mean snow, right? Yeah. Uh, also joining. I try not to say it before it happens. <laughs> also joining us today is uh, Stephen Shaw, live from Wichita, Kansas. Hey, Stephen, how's the weather in Wichita? Uh, it's pretty good, Brandon. Um, hi, by the way. And, hi. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's it's about the same as I would say as Lansing. We're we're dealing with fifties here. We were up in the seventies, but back down, and I think. We even forecasted the S word, or the the weather guys forecasted the S word for this Wednesday for us possibly. So, oh dear, this uh, this introduction is dedicated to you, Mike Trout. We know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to to start us off, uh, you know, we we haven't had uh, what well, we haven't had so far on the on the podcast. Uh, you know, I just talked to. Uh, I just talked to uh, Matt Jackson, who is a Royals fan, and he was able to head down to Kansas City for the uh, for the parade this past week. But uh, you know, we haven't really had a chance to do a World Series wrap up uh, on the on the uh, regular podcast. So uh, real quick, I just wanted to do some, uh, you know, just get your guys' thoughts on on what you saw from the World Series. I think you know a, a week ago. Um, you know, a week ago yesterday now, the the Royals wrapped it up. And so I just want to get a perspective from uh, from folks whose teams were not involved in the World Series. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Mark. Uh, you're you're a Tigers fan. And, you know, the kind of the baton in the in the division in the AL Central seems to have been passed from the from the Tigers to the Royals what what were your observations of the the Royals and their run throughout the season and into the postseason boy were they impressive I mean uh it was remarkable the nice thing about the playoffs this year is this is probably the first time since 2008 I wasn't either mad or uh hated whoever knocked us out you know we were gone long ago so I could just kind of enjoy the postseason which was a nice change uh, but really what the Royals did was remarkable. I mean, how many times did they come back when their win probability was under 10%? It was either three or four times. I mean, you started with the uh, with the game against the Astros where they were dead. They were out of the playoffs, and they were, uh, they were lining the locker room ready for the champagne celebration in Houston. Then, of course, they have that miraculous comeback in game four, and they, they just kept doing it. And, and really, a lot of it was how much contact they made. And, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about this as, uh, as I was kind of getting ready for the podcast is I guess it does make sense that you would, that you would have a lot of success if you have a high contact rate, because of course you get, uh, your BABIP, you're not striking out. So any walks you add to that is naturally going to kind of increase your, uh, team on base percentage more than you would expect for a team. Maybe that had an average amount of walks like the Royals, uh, and then there's their bullpen. You know, it's the seventh inning. The game's over. It, really, they're a remarkable team. Uh, they would have. They would be a lot more fun to watch if they weren't in the AL Central. Uh, and I, I'm gonna have to watch them 13 times a year. And we did okay against them this year, but we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Steven, it, you know, you're you're a Cubs fan, and I'm a Cubs fan. So this was this this World Series was was less fun because we saw not the team. I, not ideal. Yeah, not ideal. We saw the team that beat us make it, uh, or beat our team uh, make it through. Um, but you're, you're in you're in Kansas. You know, take us, uh, take us, take us to Kansas. You know, are there a lot of Royals fans? And, you know, what were you seeing around uh, Wichita as the Royals are making their run? Yeah, so 
there's definitely a lot of Royals fans here in Kansas. Since there's not really a major sports team um, in Kansas at all, actually, uh, most of the people around Wichita, all of Kansas for that matter, kind of adopt Kansas City teams as their number one team. So, for instance, the Chiefs, the Royals, of course. So it was kind of pandemonium around here. I mean, it was fun to watch. I'm, I'm a Royals fan in the sense that I'm around it all the time, so it's kind of one of those things you get caught up in. Um, fun to see. Uh, um, I think the, the night that they clinched, there was some fireworks, or not that they clinched, the night that they won it, there was some fireworks going off around my house. Um, it, it was just a, it was a fun time to be around here, but I, I would agree with um, Mark in the sense that it was pretty incredible to see what they were able to do as far as all the comebacks and that storyline. But, you know, it's something that people around here, for me for sure, have come to expect. I mean, going back to last year, you know, you have that bullpen that's that's really good. And, you know, if you can get it to the sixth, seventh inning, you know that pin's going to hold them. So why not come back? I mean, that, that's just kind of the Royals' M.O. now. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, we there there was a lot of talk on the on the effectively wild podcast about, you know, about the uh, the decision to leave Harvey in in game five. Um you know what what were your as as you are watching that inning unfold uh steven are you know is there anything going through your mind as as you're as you're observing this yeah i i I could kind of feel for both sides of that meaning harvey um as well as the mets coaching staff uh it you know being a former player i get where harvey's coming from because you know he's just wanting to you know, be the bulldog, go out there and finish the game, end it. But, you know, from the manager's perspective, it's hard, you know, it's hard for them to say no in that situation to their player, especially a star player like Harvey. So do I agree that the, you know, to, to send him out there? I do, but I can see where people, you know, might be against that decision. I, I just, I put myself in the manager's shoes in that situation and it's 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 really hard to, you know, take yourself out of that environment and make a logical decision when you have the star player that's you know seemingly running the game at that point, um, wanting to go back out to finish it. It's just hard to, to tell him no. So I can see where where that decision was made. Mark, what's going what's what's going through your head through Game Five? Well. Uh... I, I, I kind of feel the same way Steven does. I, I really understand why Collins let himself get talked into it. Harvey was great the whole game. Uh, you know, he had gotten a lot of criticism, obviously, about the innings limit thing and dropping that in the middle of a pennant race. And, and I think that did kind of go through Collins's head as maybe uh, a justification for giving him some more, uh, some more uh, credit from the fans. Uh, and so you throw him back out there. The pitch count wasn't too high. That's fine. He walks that first guy. He's got to be out. That's yeah. really that's really where I thought Collins really made the mistake. Is uh, once I would once, agree. Once there was a runner on, you got to go. Yeah, you got to go get him and bring in Familia. And that's I, I think that's what would happen. Like for instance, I played college baseball, and I as soon as that happened, I almost in my mind I knew Collins was going to go get him. And then when he didn't, I was I was pretty surprised. I was really surprised actually because it just seems like that's what would have happened. Um, right? Yeah, me too. I was it. absolutely stunned that uh, that Familia wasn't coming in, and of course that's when. Because uh, usually in that situation, what you know, in my experience, what has happened, you know, the coach will say, "Okay, you know, a guy gets on, you're out," and and that's how it goes. Like, and the pitcher knows that, and. As soon as the guy got on, I, I thought, oh, here comes Collins, but nope, nothing. So it, it was definitely strange. I, I, I couldn't agree more. How, how, uh, how did you guys do in the Kalkman Classic? Oh, terrible. Uh, they, uh, just about as well as I did with my preseason picks. <laughs> uh, I was not dead last, so I was happy with that. That's what I was shooting for. I was shooting for <laughs> not dead last. <laughs> I, I did pretty good. I have, I'll uh, admit that I was the Steve Bartman. Um, oh, you were the Steve Bartman pick. I was oh. the Steve Bartman. Or the Steve Bartman name just uh, 
for nice. the record, for the record, Steve Bartman, the mysterious Steve Bartman, uh, had a score of eight in the Kaufman Classic, and that was good for. Uh, tied for fourth or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, tied for uh, one, two, three. Yeah, tied for fourth. Wow, wow. Yeah, uh, Mark, you got you got five, and I was uh, I I finished with six. Uh, I was tied with the uh, the mysterious Ben L. <laughs> <laughs> I was going like through a some shady of the, character. <laughs> I was going through some of those names, and some of them were pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, uh, just a quick podcast shout out to the winner, um, the equally mysterious Paul P. Uh, <laughs> whoever, if you're out there, Paul P. Congratulations on on uh, on winning the Kalkman Classic. I like the the first name last name initial there. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah so I was, mysterious. Right, exactly. I was actually I was plugging your name in Steve and I was wondering, "Oh no, did he not do one?" So, this is <laughs> this is the great reveal that you are yeah. that, that yep. you submitted under the name Steve Bartman. <laughs> uh, um all right, cool. So, you know, for for us for our teams you know, we have been, you know, in off-season mode for at least a little while. The Tigers have been in, in off-season mode for, you know. Since July 31st. Yeah, I mean, okay, I was going to say for, for about a month and a half. But okay, sure, yes. Um, uh, the Cubs have been in off-season mode for uh, a couple of weeks now. Um, and the first kind of – one of the first things – that that happens in the off season is qualifying offers. Like on some level, this is just a totally ha 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 inside baseball sort of thing to uh, to to happen, right? Uh, you know, the qualifying offer, draft pick compensation, and the you know the one year salary offer. But do do either of you guys see any qualifying offers being accepted this year? Uh, because you know the Qualifying offers have not been accepted in the years that this has uh, has been offered. Uh, I'm gonna throw it over. Uh, I'm gonna throw it over to you, Mark. What uh, What do you see? Do you see anyone uh, accepting the qualifying offer this year at one year and about 15 million and change? I, I think if anybody's gonna do it, it's gonna be Ian Kennedy because he's not very good. Uh, I don't think he's worth 15 million. I don't think he can get that on the open market. Frankly, with the draft pick attached to him, I don't think he can get two years and $16 million total. So uh, I think that would make a lot of sense for him. He didn't have a very good season last year. Uh, his ERA plus was 87. It was 88. It was under 100, and it's been under 100 the last four years, uh, even with the Petco Park factor. Uh, you know, this could this is his best chance at a big payday, is to, I think, to take the to take the qualifying offer. If he doesn't, I think he really uh, runs the risk of, of waiting past uh, spring training and even maybe into June. Yeah. I, I think it would just be, if my team signed him uh, and gave up a second-round draft pick, I think I would be an up in arms, and I, I would imagine any fan fan base is going to feel the same way. He's just not good enough to justify that first or second round. Pick. Or or a first, right? Or a first. If right. you're if you're picking near the uh, if you're picking outside of the top 10, you're giving up a first or you're forfeiting a first round pick to sign Ian right. Kennedy. Yeah. Which is a horrible idea. <laughs> Steven, do you see anyone accepting the qualifying offer this year? Uh, I would agree with Mark that Ian or uh, yeah, Ian Kennedy probably would be one. Um I don't know, maybe Marco Estrada comes to mind for the Blue Jays yeah. simply because I, I don't know exactly if he's going to if his value is going to be as as high as maybe what he thinks or other people might think. I, I don't know. I, I just see see that as a place for him. So I think he might accept simply because it's the best place for him to be. Blue Jays need the pitching and he needs the contract. So. Yeah, uh, my my bold offseason prediction, which I guess is not that bold, is that someone would accept the qualifying offer. I don't know who. It's probably going to be Ian Kennedy. I think that's a, you know, I honestly, if he doesn't accept it, then I really, you know, you're you're right, Mark. I really just see him sitting out until June, right? Like he'll he'll sit out until after the draft so that he can get his multi-year deal. Because I don't think anybody's even even if you're desperate, 
I, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna give up a second round pick, right? Well, there there are just better guys out there that you can get without giving up a pick. Right. Uh, you, you can get a number four starter for. I guess he's durable, so he's got that. I mean, he's not completely useless, but with a first-round draft pick attached to him, I think he essentially is. I can't see him getting a contract. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Young's out there. I mean, at a very cheap price I just saw today. So, I mean, there's guys. But postseason strikeout hero Chris Young. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I want to actually, right now, I want to throw it back over to Steven uh, because – you're you're working on a GM's rankings post for the website. Can uh, can you give us a little sneak preview? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll kind of I'll kind of give you a little background too, just so we're not like totally talking nonsense here. Uh, so last off season, I I built a database and then I used that data um, along with uh, frequently used economic measures to try to to try to better evaluate front office performance. I was wanting a better understanding of how GMs or whoever is in charge of player acquisitions, uh, how they performed other than, well, you know, they won this many games or their team went this far in the postseason. Uh, Long story short, I created a few measures out of economic profit and gross domestic product that I titled E-War and gross domestic war using wins above replacement. Um, So I I use the, the war stat instead of like, currency for like dollars for example uh so you know you know war was an all-encompassing stat that i thought could be used you know across teams batters pitchers everybody that's that's kind of what i was looking for so um instead of economic profit we had war instead of gdp i have gdw or gross domestic war and so what what that's what i'm trying to get at there is to isolate the transaction player I'm only looking at how well GMs traded, signed, cut players, that kind of thing. I'm not concerned about the wins above replacement for the returning players, just the ones that were in transition. So take the Royals this year, for example. It's a good example to use. You know, GDW lets us know if the wins above replacement for their farm call-ups or their rookies added with their the war of new guys on the team like Rios, Morales, those guys – um, if those if they were better than the alternative or the guys they traded or didn't resign like James Shields, Billy Butler. So that's that's kind of what I was I was going for there. I, I guess a little teaser for this. I, I did a I did a post last year about this or preseason. I did one based on steamer rankings or steamer projections. And then I did one for the 2014 end of season stats. So I'm, I'm doing one for the end-of-season stats this year, and I'm pulling up my data now. I'll be writing a piece, hopefully, that I'll get this week. I've compiled the database, so I, uh, I have the raw numbers in front of me. I haven't done a whole lot of analysis yet. So the team, for instance, the team with the highest gross domestic war this year was Houston. So remember, uh, this isn't total team wins above replacement. It's the imported players, if you will. Uh, plus the call-ups minus the exported players or the players they got rid of. So not returning players. Um, So Houston was number one. Cubs came in at number two. Yankees number three. Um, I was able to quickly compare the numbers here with the projected numbers I wrote about before the season started. And I can run through a few discrepancies I found there, which are pretty interesting. For instance, um, let's see here. Boston – uh, they were projected to have the the highest gross domestic wins above wins above replacement this year, and as we all know, they that didn't happen. So I think they finished 11th. I projected the Royals would have a negative gross domestic war. Whoops! They actually came in at 8.4, which um, wasn't. It's not actually too high. I think it ranked eighth, but a lot better than what the projection showed. So. That, that's not the that's not the only projection they beat this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess quickly to go through the top GMs here, uh, based on these, based on the gross domestic war uh, stat I have is so Houston Lunau, um eighteen point four, uh, Hoyer for the Cubs eleven point seven or Epstein, you know whoever whoever's making the decisions. I just use the GMs for example. 
uh, Cashman for the Yankees, three, Anthopolis for Toronto, Daniels for Texas. Those are the, the top six. I did see. I did think it was interesting. The Mets were down here at 13, at 13th on the list, and what that tells me is that it doesn't necessarily mean that um, they had a bad off season. It just means that they they relied more heavily on their core or returning players to get them where they where they were. Um, so just because a, you know this system isn't perfect, just because a team might not have ranked high, they still could have had a, a good year. Um, if they had good returning players, you know, the, the, the Mets might have known that and just said, OK, well, we're not going to do as much this offseason or don't need to do as much if, if we know we're going to have these guys coming back and they're going to be our studs. You know, but um, I guess this this kind of gives you an idea of which GMs, which front offices were making the right decisions. And it, it does seem it does seem to work. I mean, you got, you know, Houston, Chicago. New York, Toronto, they're all towards the top and towards the bottom, like Atlanta, Arizona, Baltimore, Detroit, Milwaukee. Some of those teams had negative um, gross domestic war, meaning the guys they got rid of actually performed better than the guys that they brought in or called up. So I guess that's a quick rundown. Sorry for the lengthy speak there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't worry about it. That that's awesome. Uh, Mark, do you have any questions for for Steve? Uh, yeah, Steve, do you do you uh, project into the future at all any of the prospects that uh, a team will get back? So, say when you're talking about the Tigers, obviously they uh, they sold a bunch of very productive current players with Bryce and Cespedes and Soria. Uh, are you are you trying to project into the future the prospects they get back, or, or is the anticipation that three or four years from now, when those players actually come up, then they'll be counted then and the uh, domestic war yeah i haven't i haven't used it for projections as far as farm prospects go i do have i did write a piece last year and i'm going to do the same thing or at least update it this year where i basically take a look at farm efficiency and so i'm trying to i'm trying to get a better idea of of ranking farm systems and it's not usually it's not using projections but it's kind of an ongoing process where um I'm, I'm looking at teams that drafted players and then how well, how quickly they got through their system or how, or if they got to the pros at all. Like, so um, for instance, I found out last year, Oakland was one of the best teams at drafting players and having those players reach the major leagues, but it wasn't necessarily with their team. So it made me realize that Oakland was drafting players we, and we kind of all already know this, using them as leverage to get, you know, more projectable, established players, using those, trading those prospects for more established players. Um, so I, to answer your question, I haven't done anything with projections, but I am keeping track of the prospects and how those prospects are filtering through the system, how quickly it's being done, and how effectively they're getting those players to the major leagues. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thanks, Stephen. And, you know, we're, uh, you know, we will obviously, you know, see that post when it goes up. So, you know, and I'm... it was a great article last year. So if you're listening, read it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, hopefully I'll have it up this at least that first one up this week. And then the, the farm that one takes a little bit longer to update the uh, the farm system rating. So but that one should be following that one. The other one. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. All right. So. We'll move into the next part here, and uh, we wanted to do a free agent draft. So we're just going to do a couple of rounds here, or a few rounds here, and just what we're going to do is we're going to pick a uh, player, and we're going to pick the team that they're going to go to. And, uh, you know, we can pick any of the available uh, top 50 free agents, and this is, this is confidence only. You know, this is we're not trying to, uh, you know, to just pick the, you know, where the top nine players are going to go, um, although maybe it'll end up that way. But if you <laughs> if you think that, uh, you know, uh, if you think that that J.A. Happ is going to sign with the Texas Rangers, then you you pick it, you know, like we're we're not just picking Price and Grinky. Um, so. 
Hold on, I'm gonna pull up a random number generator to mm. see who goes first. Randy, hello. <laughs> see, I would have used polyhedral dice. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> All right, Mark, you're gonna go first. Steve, you're gonna go second. I'm gonna go third. Okay. All right, and in the spirit of, of delving deep into the free agent list, uh, I'm going to go with Jason Hayward. Okay. Uh, and I think he's going to go to the Houston Astros, and this is why. Uh, you know, he's he's 26 going into, into his free agent year. So even if you give him an eight-year deal, you're still in your early 30s. You're paying for his entire prime. This is really, if Luau is going to have a chance to sign a big-name free agent, this is the one that that makes sense for the Houston Astros and how they operate. It fills a big need with somebody getting on base. Uh, it, it, it makes a really a ton of sense for them. They need somebody in the outfield. Uh, so that's where I'm going. I think Hayward makes sense for the Astros. It's consistent with their organizational philosophy, and they have money available. All right. Jason Hayward. What would, first off. What would you say your uh, confidence level is there on the percentage? Uh, well, there's going to be a lot of competition for him. Uh, my confidence level, especially given my picks this year, uh, uh, <laughs> seven out of ten. Ooh. I, I think he's going to get a really strong look, and uh, it's a really good. I think it's a good fit for him. You know, it's a young, exciting, upcoming team. It's a good fit for the team. Uh, they have money. They, uh, I. You know, with their uh, their TV contract getting settled and uh, with the renewed interest in the Astros, it, it, it really makes a lot of sense. They're a good match for each other. Sure. For sure. For sure. All right. Hayward, off the board to the Astros. Steve, what do you got? Uh, okay. On, uh, I guess if we're talking level of certainty here, I'm going to go ahead and say Alex Gordon to the Royals. Uh, returning to the Royals, I don't, you know, the, it doesn't seem like the Royals have a problem unloading guys. I mean, they even, you know, they what they let go of Rio so far and somebody else I can't remember, but um, you know, they even let go of Billy Butler last off season. He was a he was a homegrown guy, just like just like Gordon. But in this case, I think they ultimately sign him. I have a feeling. Uh, I have a feeling Gordon likes being close to home. He's from Nebraska. You know, very very close to the Kansas City area. Um, he probably wants to retire Royal. That's that's just speculation still, but it would seem seem logical to me. Uh, you know, we could wake up tomorrow, I guess, and he's a Yankee. But I, I I think he stays, and I think it will be Gordon taking a slight discount rather than the Royals outbidding other teams for him. But that would be my take. That's interesting, Steve, and. <clears throat> You know, uh, Andy McCullough brought it up on the Effectively Wild podcast earlier this or uh, last week now. Um, but he said that, you know, his his perception was that, one, he has no idea what the Royals are going to do. So, you know, yeah. people should stop asking him on Twitter. But also <laughs> that that the Royals have a plan, right? And yep. they they stuck with it for uh, for a decade. Right. And and it paid off with with two consecutive pennants in a World Series. Right. And part of that plan is that they're not going to, uh, you know, allocate their resources to a, you know, two uh, players who are getting up there a little bit in age when, you know, those when when they have a finite amount of of money, you know, allocated for their baseball team as long as you know as as long as crazy fans don't crowdsource the entirety of alex gordon's contract like you know they they could they they could conceivably let him walk i mean how how do you think you know how does that kind of factor into alex gordon staying with the royals yeah, like I said, that it doesn't seem like they have a problem unloading guys, even like the the Billy this Butler move last This is true. This is true. So, my level of certainty is not you know 100 percent, obviously, but I think I think Gordon is where they make the exception. I just I honestly, it's my gut feeling, really, but I I think it's where they make the exception here because, like you said, the fans 
the fans will be on them to keep him. They already are. And um, I, I think Gordon, I think Gordon in his, in the back of his mind wants to stay in Kansas city. So, and, and Butler, I think Butler wanted to as well, but I just never got the sense, even all, even all of last year, I never got the sense that he really wanted, you know, truly to stay in Kansas city. I mean, he, he could say that he wanted to, but he was really looking for the best deal. Whereas I think Gordon, I think he's can and finishing his career there, but I could be wrong. We, we could all be wrong. We could all be wrong. <laughs> For my first pick, I am going with another uh, another player staying with their team. I'm going with Zach Greinke to the Dodgers. Um, we all know the Dodgers have all the money in the world, and Greinke is popular in L.A., and I think, you know, if there ever was kind of a a clash between, you know, players on the team and personalities where it came down to, you know, uh, picking between uh, Granke and, and someone like Puig, like, I don't think... I think the Dodgers are at, are at such a win now point and Puig spent a lot of the end of the year kind of going back and forth between the lineup and the bench um, that they're they're going to put their money on Greinke and Greinke and Kershaw taking uh, taking the Dodgers back to the World Series. Bold. <laughs> yeah, super bold. I tell bold. you, as a, as a Tigers fan, I volunteer to take uh, Yasiel Puig off the right. Dodgers. Games. Yeah, I, I volunteer. Yeah, I, I would. You know, he would look good in the Cubs outfield too. <laughs> I, I think we can find a spot for him. I'll flip. I'll flip a bat in my uh, in my uh, yard if that happens. It'll be great. But here's the thing, Mark. <laughs> will Will you crowdsource for him? Sure. <laughs> I love that. This guy only makes $14 million. You know what I should do with my money? <laughs> Give it to that guy. <laughs> Indiegogo. Every little bring, bit counts. Yeah. In, Indiegogo to keep, uh, to keep Alex Gordon in the, in Kansas city. All right, cool. Uh, round one in the books. All right. Let's send it back to Mark. Mark, who you got? Second round pick. Uh, I got Joaquim Soria coming back to the Tigers. Uh, I think uh, he and Darren O'Day are really the uh, the best of a lot of the uh, free agent uh, relievers with some closer potential. I think O'Day's got more suitors than Soria. I think the Tigers can just kind of slip in and get him to sign pretty quickly. You know, he obviously has, has been here before. He pitched well for the Tigers for the most part. Uh so I think that yeah, and Detroit has to have a reliever. I mean, uh, the uh, the garbage truck has nothing on the Tigers bullpen. So, <laughs> so I, I would like to see him sign both. Uh, I think O'Day the uh, the market's going to get driven up, uh, but I and I think they get Soria cheaper. And it sounds like they're uh, the purse strings are not as open as they've been in previous years. So I think Soria to the Tigers makes. A, a ton of sense, and I think he's gettable for them. All right. Yeah, I, I think um, as far as Soria goes, I think you're probably right, but I was just thinking about this too. What if the Royals went after him? It kind of makes sense to me a little bit there because I don't know, maybe if Holland comes back, then they're fine. If he comes back, you know, healthy and strong, they're fine. But, you know, that bullpen, if there was any weak spot on the Royals in the postseason, it was just the fact that they had to rely a little too much on Kelvin Herrera. And he did fine, but... Um, but is it sustainable? You know, the previous, yeah, the previous year they had Herrera, um, Davis, Holland. And Matson mixed in there wasn't, wasn't up to the level of those guys, so... I think Soria has been a Royal. He could possibly go back there and fill in that spot if, you know, Holland doesn't come back healthy or something like that. But I I don't know. I'm probably just speculating there. Although, do you think, uh, do you think Soria is really a, uh, an upgrade over Hope Chaver in the bullpen? He pitched pretty well, you know, converted starter number 1 million. 
Yeah, Hoche is looking better out of the pen. I'm probably biased on past performance with Hoche, so they, they might have something there. <laughs> All right, solid pick. Um, oh, Steve, who you got? Okay, yeah, yeah, my pick here. Let's see. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with another Royals friend here and say Zobris to the Yankees. Uh, I think he ends up a Yankee. I, I'd like to see the Royals try to keep him. Uh, I, I think, I think they ultimately lose out though to the Yankees. It, it was reported during the year that Cashman actually tried to get Zobris at the deadline, but um, he, you know, he wasn't willing to give up what Oakland wanted. So now that now that all he needs is a you know pile of cash to throw at him, I would I could see it easily um, Cashman going after Zobrist and you know and who, you know who who doesn't need Zobrist like a guy like Zobrist, but uh, I, I think the you know just the fact that there were signs that Cashman wanted him, um, I think he ends up a Yankee, and I think Zobrist goes goes after the contract, you know, the, the highest offer, basically. I don't, I don't see him pulling a Gordon and giving a hometown discount to the Royals or anything like that. All right. I am going with, oh, man, I really shouldn't think too deeply about this, right? <laughs> I mean, who knows? What the hell? Quick pick. Price to Cubs. Boom. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say that, Brandon. <laughs> Price goes whatever you know. So here's what I think. I think, and th- and this is just kind of a um, this is this is this is less about any level of analysis because uh, you know an, an, uh, analyzing things like this too deeply is fruitless. But uh, I shouldn't say it's fruitless, but it, it because it's still fun. But I. I want to root for the outcome that I want, right? So I might as well pick the best pitcher available to sign with my favorite team because that's the outcome that I would want. So there you go. Price to Cubs. That makes a lot of that's sense. That's good to me. Although, uh, I think uh, I think it's going to be the Red Sox and the Cubs. I think are going to be the real competition for David Price. I'm not sure that the uh, that the Blue Jays are going to want to pony up that money, but boy, do the Cubs look good with David Price in their rotation, guys. You uh, you guys might be doing cartwheels in the snow over that one. Yeah, what would that What would that be? Uh, John Lester is third starter. Weird. Yeah, I would I would think so. <laughs> although, although you know. Su- what what was that? Uh, they talked about super rotations on Effectively Wild. Now three three pitchers does not a super rotation make when uh, when uh, Jason Hamill is your is your number five. But um, uh, you know what what did they say that they don't a super rotation doesn't necessarily have uh, a better or worse chance of doing anything than a regular rotation, right? Right. Well, yeah. uh, having had one in 2013, yeah, and. Uh... <laughs> and and just ask the Nationals how their super rotation did this year. Right, and and the Phillies won a division with theirs, but it fell apart pretty quick. Right, and and now the uh, the Nationals uh, super rotation has Dusty Baker. Oh oh oh. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Strasburg will be a free agent a year from now, so we'll you know we can we can uh you know. You can't pick him to the Yankees today, but a year from now on on the on the podcast in November 2016, we can pick him to the Yankees. Okay, uh, back to Mark. Uh, I'm gonna go with my team, and it's uh, not the really good player that I'd like the Tigers to get. I'd love to see him get Cespedes back, but uh, I don't think that's gonna happen. They have to spend their money on pitching, pitching, and more pitching. Uh, I think they're gonna go after Mike Leake. Uh, makes a lot of sense as a, as a good 3-4 starter. It can get him in the 14 to 16 million range. Doesn't come with a, a draft pick attached. Throws 200 innings. Uh, the Tigers need two starting pitchers, and they have a limited amount of money to spend to get it. So I think Leak makes a lot of sense there for them uh, to go along with Annabelle Sanchez and Verlander and hopefully Daniel Norris. 
and that leaves probably a, another free agent pitcher for him. That's what I'm going to go with. You know, if Daniel Norris keeps up his hitting pace, he could, you know, maybe bat clean up or something, yeah? Two-way play. Hey, we have a spot on the field. <laughs> uh, right now it's Tyler Collins. Um, yikes. Hey, D- Daniel Norris is from Goddard, Kansas, which is basically Wichita. Hey, hey. Quick fact. So, so fun if, fact. If you That's see fun. His van driving around. Yeah, if, <laughs> if you if you see his van driving around, you know, let us know. Snap a pic. You know, we'll post it on <laughs> we'll post it on the Twitter. That won't be creepy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Steve. Okay. Who's, who's siding where? <laughs> Do I dare say uh, Murphy to the Rockies? I heard that rumor. Oh, here. poor Mikey. <laughs> poor Mikey. <laughs> first base watch out uh no i think i'm gonna go i think i'll go uh Cespedes to the angels um oh yeah i i i i think i'm not that i like not that i'm an angels fan but kind of you know taking brandon's lead i i kind of like Cespedes to the angels I, I just i like that look i think he would i think he would thrive there um it's in la he's kind of already a big deal in new york he he can prove he he's proven that he can, you know, perform at the biggest stage. So you know, going from New York to Los Angeles, not gonna be a big deal for him. And yeah, I, no more than just I, I like that move. And from a subjective standpoint, I like it. All right. It'd be fun to see him and Trout hitting in the same lineup. That's oh for boy! Sure. Oh boy! Yeah. Yeah. They probably need a left-handed bat, but what the hell. Uh, I am going to go with Matt Wieters to the White Sox. Um, because this is, this is in no small part inspired by one of my coworkers who is a White Sox fan and expressed that this is his desired outcome. So, um, I, on one level, am, am pulling for him because I don't want to see him miserable, um, completely miserable anyway. Um, when it comes to baseball, when it comes to baseball only, I don't wish, I do not wish, <laughs> I just want to specify that I do not wish misery upon, uh, upon my coworker, Andy, in any, in any aspect of his life other than, uh, baseball and not even baseball because he wants Matt Wieters to sign with the White Sox. So, uh, but I also see it too, you know, they could use, uh, a catcher, uh, I know that Sox fans are not very happy with uh, with the catching situation right now with Tyler Flowers, um, but also the White Sox. You know, they're they're I think organizationally they're trying not to squander the prime years of Jose Abreu and Chris Sale, and in doing that, you know, last last season you saw them make some big free agent signings not all of them pay uh you know paid off that much but i see them uh you know continuing that trend into this year where they you know are you know maybe they 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 have a top 10 protected pick but maybe they they give up uh they give up a second round pick to sign you know a quality free agent and maybe they give up a third round pick to sign another quality free agent so you know it 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 doesn't help in terms of rebuilding the farm, but you can still get a prime talent in the top 10. And that's, you know, that those are the picks that, that usually have the highest chance of hitting. So I see weeders to the white Sox. <laughs> yes. I, I, that sounds good to me too. I think that um, the white Sox need help on both ends, pitching in and hitting. So, you know, you mentioned their off season moves didn't pay off last year. they, there's some truth in that because my gross domestic uh, war stat here I'm looking at, they rank 16th of the 30 teams, so middle of the pack, and um, you know their their offense their offensive production on that stat didn't contribute very much. So um, you know I could see honestly I could see Cespedes going to the White Sox. So there's they're going to be in the hunt for some bats for sure. Definitely. Yep. All right, we'll do one more round. We'll make it a lightning round. But uh, un- under ex- under explained off the wall choices, welcome. <laughs> Throw it over to Mark first. Uh, 
I'll go with uh, Nori Aoki to the Tigers. Uh, they need somebody who can lead off and get on base for once, and I really like him. Good enough for me. Um, let's go. I'm looking at the, the board here. Let's go Johnny Cueto to the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays probably won't sign Price. And that's all. <laughs> They'll need someone to replace him. <laughs> if you can't beat him, sign him. Am I right? And uh, Rich Hill Marlins, just because. Rich Hill signing. That, that would be a very Marlin signing. All right. This is good. I like this list. I like this list. It'll go. Uh, I'll I'll uh, I'll put it up with the post, and uh, and uh, you know we can we can keep track of it this year, like uh, or this off season. You know, go all get a. Oh God! It's, it's some public accountability, or uh, you know, having. Uh, Excellent. You know, we maybe we need our own our own John Chenier to uh, to keep to to keep track of our drafts and lists. All right. See, I'm trying to scrub all my uh, terrible <laughs> predictions. Well, you know this. You know what they say about the internet: once it's there, it's there forever. It's rat. <laughs> all right, that uh, that was fun. That was fun, you guys. Thanks for uh, you know, thanks for thanks for indulging me with the free agent draft. Problem. I, yeah, I free love agency free is agent. fun. You know, yeah, it is a fun time. You it's know, on time. on that topic um, of 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 you know fun times um you know to kind of to kind of bring us to a close and wrap it up i want to get a sense of uh you know what what do you guys do in the in the off season to pass the time uh in, in a baseball context i know that you you know you have families and obviously that passes the time very very quickly but you know how do you how do you get your baseball fix in the off season how do you how do you keep your uh how do you keep your interest up uh you know between november and pitchers and catchers uh let's send it over to steven okay so what do i do to pass the baseball off season um well i write for banish to the pen that takes a lot of my time because i like to dig into the research and analyze the stats and you know try to make some predictions, that kind of thing. And but, we do know, appreciate build, it. Build on the, build on the database I'm, I'm working on right now. Um, besides for that, I guess, I don't know. I like watching baseball movies. That's kind of an all, all, all year type of thing, but maybe more so in the off season, just because, you know, there's no, there's no game to come home to on MLB TV during the evening. So put on a, put on a baseball flick, rookie of the year, something like that. <laughs> There you go. That's it. That's it. What's what's the what is the uh, most recent good baseball movie you've seen? Like the the like the most recent one to be released. Most recent one to be released. Hmm. What what would be that? Like the most like the newest one you're yeah, saying? Yeah, newest, newest, newest. I should have um, just said newest. Yeah. Forty two. I, I think that's probably yeah. the last one that the, the newest one that I saw. It was good. I liked it. It was uh, really, really good. I agree. I also enjoyed yeah. forty two. I should rewatch it this off season. That's oh, an excellent that's idea. One. I think I'm gonna rewatch that this yeah. off season. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh Mark, how do you how do you pass the time in the off season? I stare out the window wistfully. Uh, ah, no, yes. I, I, ah yes, I, I I'm familiar with that. I play a lot, and I mean a ridiculous amount for a 40-year-old man a lot of out-of-the-park baseball, especially in the offseason. That, that's a great choice. I, uh, I, I, in fact, already have a, uh, a game set up where I, uh, I played the first half of the season until the Tigers were bad enough to make all their offseason trades, and uh, I'm getting ready to start rebuilding them for 2016. And then on my phone, I have a Houston Astros franchise, so... I have two different games going on already, uh, kind of to while away the winter months until spring training, until I get overly excited about pitchers and catchers reporting, and then nothing happens for a month. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, out of, out of the park, I have played so much out of the park in my in my life, um, and yeah, I just, I I just kind of 
switched off of a season uh, or a, or a uh, uh, yeah, a, where I made it to like 2060 or something with the Cubs. Wow. Like I just, I would just sit there. I would, I would sim like one, one season per sitting and yeah. You know, eventually I I got to you know fifty sittings. <laughs> <laughs> the qu- the big question is though, did you ever win the World Series? So uh, I I I did I did uh, after it was the year after uh, Simulation Addison Russell retired. Uh, so wow. so none of the current <laughs> no, none of the current Cubs that were still on my roster won the world series with, uh, with my SIM Cubs. So what you're telling me is there's little hope. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say that in that, uh, in that strand of virtual universe, the, the Cubs lost the, uh, wildcard play in game five years in a row. <laughs> Interesting. Oh God. I, I hope, uh, I, I, I hope that's not real. Um, for me, it's it's uh, you know yeah I, I go back and I play a lot of out of the park, but I've I also uh, use the off season as a uh, time to catch up on baseball reading. Um, so obviously I, I keep I keep up on my on my podcasts, um, but you know this is this is the time of year where I, I get my fix uh, reading books. Uh, my Right now, on my shelf to be consumed this off season um, is uh, the first up is going to be Bashi. That's the uh, the uh, uh, autobiography or the biography of uh, Masanori Murakami, who uh, was the uh, first Japanese player in the major leagues. And uh, also, I'm gonna read it's Julius Teigl's, uh Jackie Robinson book, Baseball's Great Experiment, uh, is on my reading list. So that'll be good to go along with um, to go along with uh, Forty Two. Awesome. Very good. All right. Um, and the last go around question, the last go around question to wrap us up today. Um, what is what is like your formative off season memory? What is like the one thing that you can go back to in the off season? Like we we can all go back to games, right? Like, wow, I remember that home run. I remember that victory, or in some situations, oh, I remember that loss, right? But what is what's what's an off season happening? A signing, a trade, uh, a front office decision, managerial decision, or a managerial change? that has that has stuck with you and you really remember that moment that it happened uh let's go to mark first well really two come to mind and one is one is from adulthood and one is from when i was a kid uh 2004 uh we get uh fernando vena the tigers are actually signing real major league players and then of course I'm driving into work and the radio tells me that pudge rodriguez is coming to the detroit tigers uh, I got nothing done at work that day. Uh, it, you know, it's really unbelievable. One of the top ball players in in the uh, in all of baseball is coming to a 119 lost team. Uh, but really, I think the one that sticks out to me is uh, when I was a kid, Lance Parrish, uh, catcher for the Tigers, was my favorite player. Uh, after all the the free agent collusion in '86, he's a free agent after the '86 season, and. Uh, I come home from school, and my mom tells me, I'm 12, that uh, Lance Parrish signed with the Philadelphia Phillies, and I cried. Actual tears. Uh, because my favorite player is going to play for the stupid Phillies. I still kind of hold a grudge over the Phillies about that, by the way. Oh, no. Poor, poor young Mark. Yeah, young Mark was very, very, very upset. Well, yeah, he was a. I'm uh, looking back at this. He was an all-star his last year in Detroit. So yeah, that would be. Yep. I'd do it. Hey, Steve, how about you? Yeah, mine would have to be my off-season memory. I guess would 
a little more recent. I think it was 05. The, the whole steroid scandal was, was coming to a head. And Clemens and Palmero, Sosa, McGuire were all summoned to Congress and, you know, had to had to testify, basically. So I just remember that being on TV all the time in the media. Uh, it was a constant. And I was in college at that time. And um, I just remember me and my buddies on the baseball team just sitting and watching that when we, when we weren't in class. And it's, it just kind of sticks out in my mind. So that, that, would, that would have to be it for me. All right, cool. And, you know, for me, it's it's real weird. The last few off-seasons have been the highlight of the Cubs, right? Like, the regular the regular season is just, it's it's varying between, between, like, really bad and then, like, regular bad, you know? So, so there's not much variation there, but it's the off-season where, where I can get my hopes up, right? So, you know, between between uh, uh, Theo Epstein getting hired and, and the rumors of people on Twitter seeing him at Starbucks uh, beforehand, um, and then, uh, you know, on some on some level, you know, some of the some of the little free agent signings and the little trades, but last year, you know, thinking that the Cubs would be big players in the, uh, you know, in the free agent market, just staying up all night. And like, it was all night for a couple nights just to see if they, if they would sign John Lester. Right. And, and then they did. (laughs) And then they did. I remember I was folding laundry. I had deliberately done laundry late so that I would stay up uh, (laughs) because I knew I wasn't going to go to sleep. And then I'm folding laundry and I see, and I pick up my phone and Lester signs with the Cubs and it's just, and, and I, I just like Mark didn't get any work done that day. I, I didn't get that much work done the next day either, but I, you know, didn't go to sleep for a few more hours because it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty exciting moment. And like, you know, on some level, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a turning point, you know, for, for the team right now. Um, <laughs> and, and on another level, it's like, wow, Theo can sell this to someone on the open market. That's pretty cool. Um, and then, you know, of course, younger, younger days, you know, hiring Dusty Baker. That was cool. Uh, at the time, uh, not so much later, uh, in some ways, but also, you know, uh, what was the other one? Oh, signing Moises Alou. That was a big one for me as a as a younger person because he was the best uh, uh, hitter on the market, I believe, that off season. And hey, the Cubs signed him. That was that was really rad. All right, so that that's gonna do it for this episode of the Banish to the Pen podcast. Uh, you know, I I just wanna I I wanna thank you guys for for coming on. It's uh you know we've had we've had a great talk. Um. But I want to throw it over to, uh, I want to throw it over to each of you and just, you know, just where where can we find you on the interweb, and uh, you know, can we hit you up on Twitter and, you know, any any parting words. Let's send it over to Mark first. All right, uh, thanks, well, thanks a lot, guys. Again, uh, it's always fun to be on the podcast. It's uh, it's nice. I I really love Banished to Pen just because I get a chance to write about baseball. And occasionally someone will actually read or listen to what I say, which is great. I love it. Uh, you know, it's it, it's really super cool. And if you'd have told me that in in 1986 when I was crying about Lance Parrish, I'd have been pretty happy about that. Uh, you can find me on uh, Banished to the Pen. Uh, I'm hoping to write a lot more now that uh, I'm through with all the kids' major activities in the fall and. Uh, you know, there's a lot of downtime to write since it'll be cold and I'll be snowed in. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at SharkMGS. Uh, I almost exclusively tweet about baseball and occasionally Iowa sports. Uh, I'm an Iowa grad and my team is 9-0. That's the other thing that'll keep me uh, going during the offseason. And uh, again, it was a, a real pleasure to talk baseball with you guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mark. Let's start over Steven. 
Yeah, it, it was a great time. It was good to talk with both of you again. Um, like Mark, I always love coming on the podcast, and Banish the Pen is a really – it's a great outlet for guys like us to write about baseball, and, and you know, we might not be able to to play it, but we can we can write it. And like Mark said, people will actually read a little bit sometimes, and it's a, it's a good outlet. So um, – it's a. I'm, I'm glad to be part of that. It's it's kind of a testament to what the internet can do. I mean, it brought, you know, a collection of people together that really don't know each other at all, and um, allow us to group think basically, and and put our thoughts out there, and and uh, just have a little outlet. But um, I can't even remember my Twitter handle. I think it's at Steve Twenty One Shaw. If you want to follow, I. I retweet things. I don't post a whole lot of stuff, but um, yeah. So it, it was good to good to be on again. Awesome, thanks, Steve. That's at Steve S T E V E, right? Twenty one Shaw. Uh, all right, and uh, me, I'm Brandon Lee. I'm on Twitter at Blee Internets, uh, and then I occasionally will be posting on Banish to the Pen this off season, and also on the uh, Banish to the Pen and uh, effectively wild Facebook groups uh, on the regular. Um, all right. Thanks, you guys. It has been awesome. And uh, this is the Banish to the Pen podcast signing off. And uh, the the parting, parting words, as we say every week, just remember, be nice to your fellow listeners. Oh, man. In my head, I said episode 39 of the Effectively Wild podcast, which was not... <laughs> That would not have been. That would not have been correct. That would not have been correct. Hilarious, but <laughs> correct. <laughs> okay. All right.